I invite you to turn with me to, again, this week, one verse to Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. Exodus chapter 20, which contains the Ten Commandments, and then verse 16. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this commandment that we're going to be talking about this morning is a, a commandment that is very familiar to every single one of us. Uh, it's, it's, it's one that's been with us. We've known it, well, ever since we were very young uh, and have grown older. And, you know, out of all the commandments, uh, this, is, this is the one I think that we hear about the most. In fact, anytime either we or someone else breaks one of the other commandments, almost invariably this commandment is broken at the same time. There is a, a, a foundation that this commandment provides, which when that foundation is breached or when it's removed, it opens up the way for really all manner of other, the other commandments to be broken, all manner of evil to come in. Uh, and, and the subject of this commandment, truth versus untruth, is very often a, a part of daily discussions that we have. It may come up in discussions within our, our families, uh, in discussions about people who have wronged us in some way, or maybe other people with whom we, we don't see eye to eye. Think about all, how often this is raised up in the media. You know, just yesterday, just on a whim, I went to uh, a news website that everybody here, or most people would be very familiar with, and I, I just began to look through the news stories, and the majority of the stories, I could tell, had something to do with this, uh, often an accusation of, of mistruth. You know, you get stories like uh, Facebook has been a haven for fake news, or you hear about a politician that needs to be fact-checked. You hear about that often these days, or maybe that a leader some leader of some other country is uh, spewing rhetoric, uh, many falsehoods in order to sway public opinion. We live in a world that is always talking about lies, always talking about mistruths. But you know what's so often absent in this world and in these, the, these uh, discussions it's the central role that the law plays or is designed to play in our lives. God's law is designed to play. You may remember when we first began the Ten Commandments that we said that a primary function of God's law is that it would serve as a mirror. Imagine I've got a mirror here and it reflects and shines what is really inside of me. And it reveals, it shows the, the condition of our hearts. And when it comes to the ninth commandment, in particular, this is almost completely absent from the world around us. There are lots of accusations that are thrown around, lots of justifying and, and defending that is done, but very little reflecting, very little asking the question, what about, what about me? Uh, what about my own heart? especially when it comes to this topic, what are the lies that I am responsible for? 
And that's what we're seeking to see and to understand this morning. We're seeking to use the law as a mirror to reveal our hearts. But we're also seeking to use the law in one more way, and that is as a signpost. And you know what a a sign does. It it points the way to something. And we want to, knowing and seeing and understanding the condition of our hearts, we want to see the way pointed to where we can find hope and where we can find deliverance. But in order to get there, we need to talk about what this commandment means and about how this world in which we live, how it, how it affects us and how it affects our, our view of this commandment, how it affects how we see it and how we uh, understand it. So that's our task this morning. Again, I'm just going to read this one verse, chapter, Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. This is God's Word. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that uh, with your law, that you do this work of, of showing our hearts and, and revealing our hearts, showing what's, what's really there so that something can be done about it, so that we're, we're not left in the, the dark, not seeing, not understanding uh, that which is inside of us and that which can uh, lead us astray completely and can, if we're not in Christ, uh, lead us to condemnation. Uh, so we thank you for that. We, we pray this morning as we look at this commandment, we pray that you would help us. Help us to see and to understand uh, in a right way what this commandment is speaking about, what it calls for from us. And I pray, Lord, that it would, uh, by your Spirit, that you would show us uh, the way to Christ. Uh, the way to finding a, a relief from our guilt, from our sin, that which is only found in Christ. We pray for your help in Christ's name. Amen. You know, it was, maybe, it was several years ago, maybe nine or ten years ago, uh, when our family was back in Dallas and, and we got to know a, a wonderful Chinese man. His name was uh, Charles and, and his daughter, uh, as well, they had both fled from China, and they were seeking political asylum in the in the United States. I think I've mentioned him before in some context, uh, but we got to know uh, Charles and his daughter Grace well. Uh, we spent a fair amount of time with them. We had some connections uh, with them already in our in our family. Uh, Charles, when he was in China, had been a a professor of English literature uh, at a, at a university. Uh, and it's a, a well-respected position. Uh, he had all the, the degrees and uh, had been in that position for some time. He had even traveled years ago or, uh, previously to the U.S. and spent time at, at uh, one of the, uh, the top schools. Uh, I can't remember. It was uh, Princeton or, or Yale. But he and his family also suffered persecution at the hands of the Chinese authorities because they were Christian. And in my discussions with Charles, he would often talk about uh, one particular uh, topic. He would compare China 
in the United States uh, in this topic, and the topic was truth. And uh, Charles said that he knew that here in the United States that that lying was not uncommon, that, that we've got a, a problem in the public sphere with untruths. But he also said, you know what, it's not at all like what you find in China. Uh, Charles said that the, the culture and the environment in which people there in China experience truth is very different from here because he said that truth has been completely redefined in every realm of life. He said that in every classroom, in every living space or apartment, uh, in, in, in and through the media and through every organization, uh, and yes, through the church, at least the, the official uh, state church, truth is defined by the communist government. He said that they say what is true, and they say what is untrue, uh, and that becomes the new truth. It must be the new truth for everyone. And this is, uh, he said, this makes it very difficult when someone stands up in the public sphere and refutes the truth uh, because they pay serious consequences. And he, uh, in his own experience, enumerated those uh, loss of advancement opportunities, cut in pay. Uh, loss of job, even loss of apartment uh, where they were living. And ultimately, if it continued forward, they would be silenced. And Charles said that in every one of these spaces, in, in the classroom that he had, in his classroom, in the apartment complex, in the workplace, there were those who looked just like everybody else that was around but they weren't. They were spies for the communist government against the people. And they were there to squeal on anyone who was out of compliance. And here's the surprising thing, at least it, it was to me, that he said generally the people just they go along with this. By and large, they are content. They do have a truth. Now, it happens to be a largely a, a facade or a veneer, but as long as their basic needs are, are met, then the attitude is really, why make a, a fuss? And he told me not only that, but this has had over time a significant impact on the church as well. And he was speaking about the, the true church, uh, the underground church, that there were many who just received and accepted this view of truth. At least the temptation was very strong to do that. But when we come to God's Word, we know this has to create a problem for, for believers. And it was this problem that Charles ran into, and it's this, that, that truth, bedrock, absolute, objective truth, matters. Not truth that's been rearranged and twisted to look a certain way, but actual truth. It must be known. And it must be lived out. And so you can imagine why Charles, a professor of English literature in the classroom, you know, teaching English literature, in, including works like, he said, Pilgrim's Progress, 
why he had faced persecution, why he was facing political asylum, because the believer knows that truth matters. And as is clear in this commandment that we're looking at this morning, we must promote truth and we must practice it in our lives, not only with respect to the world around us, but especially in our relationships with one another. And that's what this ninth commandment is really all about. Uh, John Calvin stated the, the purpose of this commandment in this way. He, he said that since God, who is truth, abhors a lie, he hates lie, lies, we must practice truth. He said, especially without deceit toward one another. What he's saying, truth matters. Objective truth matters. But we've got to realize that like many of those that Charles spoke about within the Chinese church, that the world around us is constantly pulling at us, and it's constantly tempting us to receive its version of truth, to receive it on its terms. And even though we live in a culture that's very different from China, very different, uh, as Charles described it, Yet lying and twisting of the truth, misrepresenting the truth, is so prevalent. And it's so weaved into the very fabric of our everyday lives. And we are so easily drawn toward the worldly view that we are very susceptible to failing to see this for what it really is. Failing to see mistruth as sin, whether it's in ourselves or in the world around us. And so we need to see and we need to understand this commandment, understand what it's calling for us to do, and understand something about the culture and the world in which we live. And so that's what we're seeking to do this morning as we look at this commandment. Uh, So first, we're going to take a look at what this commandment means uh, it's, its most basic meaning. And then secondly, we're going to dig a little deeper and see uh, how deep this commandment goes. So first, uh, let's take a look at what this commandment means. Uh, and as we've done with prior commandments, uh, let's try to understand this in its most basic surface level meaning. So as we read the, the words of the commandment. Let's ask, what exactly does this mean? Now, that may be different than uh, what many of us here may expect. Now, sometimes this commandment, as I stated earlier, it's, it's, it's said in this way, you must not lie. And that's certainly not a wrong way to look at this commandment, but it's not the most basic Meaning the, the, the ninth commandment actually says, "You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor." Think about those words. Where does someone bear witness? It's in a court of law. That's the immediate context for this commandment. If you're giving testimony in a legal proceeding and you're testifying against or about uh, a neighbor, that's the word that's used here. Uh, which implies someone in your own community. Uh, Here we think about within the church, but it's not limited to that. In that case, your testimony must be based 
solely upon what you, you've seen and know to be true. Nothing added, nothing assumed, nothing left out. The goal here, as with, as with the other five uh, commandments that deal with neighbor, the goal here is really, as I, I said earlier, it's to love your neighbor as yourself. And so what this is, is saying, if you're in that position of witnessing against a neighbor, uh, that you are to care about that person. That you are not to tear down or demean their name or their reputation any more than the true statement of your testimony will do. Now, it's worth noting, I think, that during this time frame when, when these commandments were laid down, that the testimony of a witness was very important. Uh, was very consequential for the accused. It could mean, in, in many cases, a, a death sentence. And so the Lord put into place for His people safeguards, safeguards to protect and to care for the accused. Uh, one of those, uh, and this, is, this was part of the, the civil law, one of those was there had to be at least two or three witnesses. And if not the person would be let go. They'd be declared innocent uh, because there weren't sufficient witnesses to testify against them. Uh, Another safeguard was that each of the witnesses were commanded not to bear false witness. So it was before the Lord. Do not bear false witness. And so in this way, justice was to be upheld and this individual was to be cared for. Notice that the real command to the person that's standing as a witness was this. Tell the truth, but do it out of love for your neighbor. Do it in that way and make sure it is truth that's being told. Now, this commandment, of course, does apply today. God's moral commandments uh, continue forward. It's a statement of who God is. And so uh, this commandment applies to us today, but I would guess that there aren't many of us here who are likely to find ourselves, at least not often, in a, in a, in a court serving as a witness. Maybe sometimes on the jury, but not as a witness in a court very often. But there are other times, frequent times, when this does apply to us, think about this. If you're with someone else, or you may be with a number of people, and you begin talking about someone else who is not there with you, think about what you're really doing when you do that. You're, you're bearing witness about that other person who is not there with you. And, and maybe you're saying what you believe to be true about them. But what is often the temptation? We see it in our own hearts. The temptation is to to tear them down. Remember what I read out of uh, the book of James, uh, chapter 3. He said, No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. You know, we, we don't think about it that way, certainly, when we're speaking about someone else. In fact, I think that invariably 
we think that we're doing good. Even if, even if we're saying negative things, we may be thinking I'm saying those to, to inform others or to, to warn them, almost like I'm doing a public service. But what does the commandment say? You shall not bear false witness. And remember, the design of that commandment is not to use words to tear others down, uh, but rather to care for them. And this is especially speaking about those within the body, within the church, but it also does apply to the outsider. Rather, as with all of these commandments, uh, they're, they're seeking to build up others. Now think for a moment about what happens when we talk about others who are not present. That person who's not present with us never has a chance to defend themselves. They're never given the opportunity to correct what is said, to explain perhaps the circumstances under which some event took place or to tell their own motives. It's very much like they are, they are charged and tried and convicted without any opportunity to defend themselves. And we recognize this, this can't ever take place in a, in a court of law because it's unjust. Even if we believe that we're telling the truth, in the same way, what this commandment tells us is that this must not happen in our homes, must not happen in our, in our church, in our workplace. And when it does happen, that we're bearing false witness against our neighbor. You know, it's so easy for us to justify this. Uh, we can call it slandering another person. Yet, if it really needs to be said, if there are things that need to be said, which is sometimes the case, maybe a person has wronged us. If that's the case, then we have a process in which to, to follow and to go through, which begins, it's Matthew 18, you can turn there sometime and, and walk your way through it if you're not familiar with it. But it begins with confronting the person directly so that they have an opportunity to respond. And it may be as simple as, I'm sorry. Uh, or it may not be taken care of at that time, in which case there are other steps that are taken that are outlined in Matthew 18. But again, that's the, that's the right forum for it. Now, just before we, before we leave this, let me suggest a couple of questions that we should always ask ourselves before we speak about another person in this way. And, and the reason I want to spend some time on this is because this is something that we are very susceptible to throughout our days. So here are a couple of questions to ask yourself uh, about this. First of all, is what I'm about to say about this person, is it true? Secondly, is it something that might hurt their name or, or tear down their reputation with the ones I'm sharing uh, with? Third question, would I phrase it in the same way if that person were right here with me? And then the fourth question, does it need to be said? In other words, am I in a position or in an office in which this needs to be shared about the one that I'm speaking about? Because that's often the case. 
And there is a, a right avenue for that. But if, if the answer to these questions is no, and I know this is, this is an area that strikes uh, at our own hearts, then it's almost certainly best not to share and to hold your tongue. You know, in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we're called to speak the truth in love. To speak the truth, yes, but to do it in a certain manner that cares about the other person. It, it, the objective there is to love the other person, to build them up, not to tear them down. And a little further in Ephesians chapter 4, let all slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now think about it. There's the motive right there. I stand forgiven. My name has been scrubbed clean. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave Himself for me. You think about that and then think, how can I now, knowing that, that that applies to me, how can I now go and slander, be a false witness against a brother, against a sister, not love them, not protect their name and uphold their dignity? So again, this, this is the most basic meaning of this commandment that we're looking at this morning. Um, but there is, of course, much more there in this commandment. And so as we go a little deeper, we need to, to affirm that this commandment, first of all, it, it's stating the most extreme form of sin in what we just covered, uh, that which might condemn an innocent person. But the commandment, like the other commandments, also cover all lesser sins of the same kind. And so the underlying principle with this commandment is that God forbids all forms of untruth. God forbids all forms of untruth. And so, so the basic principle is you shall not lie. So it is to be found there. And, and, and the corollary of that, uh, remember, anytime we, we, we look at the, the negative, we also need to see the positive. You must seek to uphold truth in all things. And so, of course, those two, they kind of open up the floodgates. There are many, many different ways of lying. Uh, And in many of these ways, we may not even recognize that we're engaging in breaking this commandment uh, because we we don't think of it in that way. But let me just mention a couple here. We break this commandment when we flatter someone when we heap praises and and compliments upon someone, but but they're not really genuine. There's another unspoken motive that's in our hearts. We're looking for something. We're actually lying when we do that. Uh, Remember that our sin and, and breaking these commandments arises not only in what we do or say, not only in the external, but also in what is going on in our hearts. Uh, secondly, we also break this commandment when we 
talk around an issue. Do you know what I mean? Uh, when we avoid giving a straight answer because we don't want to, we want to put forward something else. You know, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You know, it's really, th- this one is the litmus test for a politician, if you think about it. Uh, they so often talk around an issue. Let your yes be yes and your no be, be no. So you've got to ask yourself, what about me? Do I ever engage in talking around an issue? Or am I just straightforward and provide the truth? Uh, we also break this when we say something that is technically true, and we think it through our minds, well, this is true, but in fact it's still intended to deceive. We say it in such a way, or may leave out certain parts in order that we may deceive. Again, you know, this gets, gets back to the heart, gets back to the intent or the motive. Uh, there are so many people that, that, that approach the commandments as something completely achievable, like the Pharisees did. But when they do that, when we do that, we're only looking at them outwardly, yet the law judges the heart as well. You know, I, I think we could go on and on and talk about all the different ways that we are susceptible to misleading others and to obscuring the truth and different types of, of deception. But I think it's important as we look at this commandment for us to consider the, the context in which we each live our lives and the temptations that we need to be aware of because they're constantly working upon us. We live in a world that's very different from what I described earlier in, in China. Uh, you can watch the Olympics now and, and see them going on in China and recognize as, as you think about and as you hear about uh, the way that that China is controlled, completely controlled, that it is a world that is very different from ours. Yet when it comes to truth, they're very much the same, I believe, in in one very important uh, respect. You know, we live in a world that's constantly telling us there is no objective truth. We're surrounded by it. Uh, Everything is relative. You decide for yourself what truth is. And this has found its its way into almost every avenue, everything that we engage ourselves in. If you go to the doctor's office and you fill out uh, one of those forms and tell about yourself, you're probably going to be given an option, not of who you are, but of how you'd like for people to identify you as male or as female. Uh, even in, on some forms, the personal pronoun that you'd, with, with which you'd like to be referred. And the message there is, you choose. Uh, this is your own truth. You are able to make it up for yourself. Now, uh, this is very different from what has occurred in China. Yet it's very much the same in this way, that when that happens, truth is removed. Actual truth is removed, and it's replaced with a a, a new truth, with a truth that is mine and a truth that is yours. Uh, And 
this is the way that we are to live our lives according to the culture in which we live. It is a redefinition of truth itself. It's called postmodernism. And it provides a foundation upon which many, many lies are able to be told because truth itself is redefined. It's removed from the picture and in its place is left a facade. And this is the point at which the ninth commandment is attacked. And I'd just like to mention a few of the places in our world today in which we see this. And the reason I want to mention these is because they have an impact upon us and upon how we view truth. Now, I'm not telling you anything here. I don't think that you don't know. And yet, I want to remind us that there is a warning here for us. First of all, there are lies, we know, in much of what the media tells us. There are organizations, media organizations, that purport to give us the news. Uh, News is a telling of what has happened what someone did and what the ramifications are. It's the facts. But the problem is, and this has become standard in the world around us, that those who are delivering the news want us to see it in a particular way. And so there's a certain spin that's put on it. And so instead of receiving facts, we're receiving a certain version of those facts, and it's called truth. It has an outward appearance that's made to look like news, but it's not. And right there, there's a danger for us. This is where the ninth commandment comes in. Because we can be tempted to choose the truth that we want to hear. Some will choose this truth. Others will choose this truth. That's the media. Then there are lies that many scientists tell as well. Not all, but many You know, science is based upon testing, upon observation, upon uh, determining a hypothesis based upon the evidence. Yet we live in a world in which many, not all, but many scientists move from that, from true science to philosophy. Why? Because they want to extrapolate from that to make the data fit their own conclusions, which they then present as fact. You know, how many times have we heard Follow the science. And that's not a wrong thing. That's a a good thing. Follow the science. But if it's not true science, when it's been twisted so that it derives its own conclusions, what are we left with? It's actually very unclear because we don't have the degrees and we're not able to make the determinations. But what's happened? Truth, objective truth, has been removed. And some people choose this truth, and other people choose this truth. And again, there's the danger that we are tempted to choose the truth that fits what we desire, what we want to hear. And then we move from science to politicians. There are the lies that many, not all, fortunately, but many politicians tell We know that we live in a country that's politically divided. And it's become accepted that this is the way politics work, that it's it's relative. Truth is relative. It depends on your perspective. And so a politician is asked a very direct question. And in answer to that question, 
They give a truth, but it's a certain perspective of truth. It's a facade that's given. And it can sound good, yet it's really designed to present one side of things. And then what happens? I've got to point this out. The media steps in, and they become the truth arbiters. Remember what I said about the media. And so what does that do? It only creates more problems. Yet for us, again, for believers who are, who are opening God's Word and seeking to walk in His way and looking at the ninth commandment, what are we apt to do? We're apt to follow what we want to hear, the version of truth that we desire to hear, and to discard the rest as if one side represents the truth and the other side is nothing but lies. And so what happens? We're affected. We're swayed. And we could continue on and on in many different areas, but the, the, the point is this, that in the world in which we live, that the temptation can be strong to accept and to receive truth. But it's not really truth. It's what we desire to hear. You know, this is possible because that simple concept of everything being rooted in objective truth has been largely removed piece by piece so that we're left with a place in which each comes up with his or her own truth. And my truth is as good as your truth. And that is the message of the world around us. You know, there was a time in Israel's history that was very much like this, a time when truth was absent we, we read about it a little bit in our uh, confession of sin earlier. Let me read a few more words. This is out of uh, the book of Isaiah. Isaiah wrote, Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public places, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. This was a time in which truth had stumbled in the, in the public square. In other words, it had been removed and replaced by a facade. And so, what are we to do? What are we to do when the foundation has been removed? That foundation which is, is truth, and it's been replaced by something else that moves up and down with the waves of, of time and opinion. So what are we to do? The answer is that we need that which is truth. You know, Jesus said in, in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's it. God is truth. And His Word is true. And so this must be our foundation. In, in Romans 3, 4, we read, let God be true, though everyone else were a liar. Even though the rest of the world might be full of lies, we've got a place to turn to. We've got a place that is solid. We've got a place that is secure, a solid refuge for our soul. One that doesn't shift with a political climate. Now, in doing that, we may not have all the answers as far as what the science is really telling us. 
We may not be able to tell which side, this side or that side, is right. But we can know the truth. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 8, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's, that's what we need, is true freedom. Freedom, ultimately, from this world. Freedom from sin. This is where we find the truth. And so, the question, how do we avoid being drawn into all the falsehood that surrounds us today? How do we obey this ninth commandment and remain a people who are about upholding the truth? Ask yourself these questions. Am I intentionally seeking to see and to understand the truth from God's Word? Do I, do I turn to that truth daily as much as I can and spend time in it and seek to know it, seek to understand it? Do I seek out opportunities to study God's truth uh, with others and to be immersed in it? You know, sit under the preaching of God's Word and look for, for opportunities to encourage others to do the same. If your answer to those questions is no, then I'll just say the danger is there. And this is for each one of us. The danger is there that we will be pulled by the world around us. And we know how it happens. It's, it's without us being able to, to see and to understand that we're, we're being pulled. And, and we will slowly be receiving and speaking that which is not truth. We know we need to be in God's Word. That's how we avoid being immersed in a sea of, of, of relativism. And so I just ask you to allow this commandment to work upon you to open up your heart, to, to serve as a mirror for your heart and to show uh, where am I tempted? Where do I follow in the wrong direction? Where do I not really uphold truth, but I fall into receiving and accepting the truths of this world? And as you do that, I'd ask you to, to confess that before the Lord, to confess that sin and then to see in front of you the Lord Jesus with His arms stretched out to you. That's what He wants to hear. He wants to hear our confession of sin. He wants to hear our, our own recognition that I've fallen into those ways, I've fallen into those patterns, and I am a sinner. And this continues on. Even after we've received Christ, we've, we've heard the gospel, we know the gospel. But it continues to work upon our hearts in this way that we might continually be turned back to Christ. And it's as we do this, as we recognize our sin, as we confess it, that we're really able to see again and again and again our need for a Savior. And that's what we're, we're doing as we come to the table this morning. Uh, we're recognizing this is our Savior. And this is what He has done for us because of the way that our hearts are. Uh, he has offered us His grace. How? By His sacrifice, His 
blood shed upon the cross, his body broken for us. And it's as we see and as we recognize our own hearts and our own sin that we begin to see more and more with a great heart of thankfulness uh, that which he has provided for us, the gift of grace. And so I invite each one of us uh, to think about that. Think about where my heart really is and where it has been provided for in Christ this morning as we come to the table. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank You that we can know truth. That in this world in which we live, that we are able to obey this commandment. That day in and day out, even though we live in the world, that we don't have to be of the world. And so I pray, Father, that if there are particular sins that have been revealed in our hearts this morning, uh, Father, I pray that You would make those plain to us, that you would help us to to call those out as sin, and then help us to turn back to you with new obedience, uh, with hearts that desire to walk with you and to know you as our God. We thank you for your law, and we thank you for the way that it works upon us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.